0: Uh, question uh, for you guys. How many have ever been to the big Disney World in Orlando? I'm just very curious. Uh, show of hands here. Okay. So half of you. I, I would have uh, counted myself as uh, only seen half of it uh, before uh, this past month. Uh, I, I'm old enough that I, I went to Disney World as a little kid before Epcot was born. So I only saw like a very small part of it. Um, But uh, through uh, generosity of my mother-in-law, we were able to take our four kids uh, with us uh, to Orlando uh, earlier this month. And um, what you find out when you go there is that uh, even though it's advertised as the happiest place on earth, uh, everything costs like three times what it normally would cost. Uh, there are lines to get into the park where even after you pay for your ticket, you have to pay, uh, I think it's like $25 if you just want normal parking. You can pay $50 for the closer parking. Uh, that's every day that you're still paying. There was, I think, uh, a, I, I want to say like a 45-minute line for uh, Serena to go get a cup of coffee. Uh, there's just like ev- everything you do that there, there, there's just lines for. Um, Our kids, though, loved it. They enjoyed every single moment of it. And I think uh, one, maybe a a picture of uh, what this was like was, uh, if you want to show that first photo, this is uh, on our plane ride back home that... uh, I think we were trying, Serena and I were trying to recover. Our our kids were just super excited again because being on the airplane means that they can just watch the iPad uh, for the entire three hours. And so uh, while we were uh, very careful to um, uh, how we spent our money since it was so expensive, uh, we had packed lunches, we had done other things. Uh, We were very uh, shocked to realize after. getting off the plane, uh, that the iPad that the kids were playing on, and I think my, uh, I shouldn't rat, uh, rat out my children, but one of my children, who happens to be a boy, uh, had uh, the iPad last, and he didn't bring it with us. He just put it in the seat in front of him, and we had gotten off the plane, and we didn't realize that until we got home. I think uh, Serena had the opportunity to deal with uh, Zach uh, on this first, and I think she was uh, extremely frustrated because, again, we had tried to save so much money only to uh, lose an iPad because she was just thinking the chances of uh, this iPad being returned to us were very slim. and so she took out, unfortunately, some of her frustrations on Zach, just asking him, how could, you, how could you just leave the iPad while we were all leaving? Mommy was holding baby. Daddy was getting all the luggage. We were all trying to get out. Why did you just leave the iPad in, in the chair in front of you? So my, my, my son, now that I've outed him, Zach, he, he asked uh, a couple questions. He asked, Mommy, um, did, did Daddy pack it away? And um, Serena told no, Daddy didn't pack it. Daddy was taking the luggage out. Hmm. And then he asked the second question, um, Mommy, well, did you pack it? And Serena said, no, I didn't pack it. I was holding the baby. You, you had the iPad last. And then Zach responds, then only Jesus can do this. And uh, I, I say this, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of not trying to be a proud dad. I'm just telling you what was reported to me. Uh, <laughs> We asked, he wanted to ask uh, to pray for God to return the iPad to us. And I think Serena at this point had had really kind of lost uh, her temper and uh, didn't think it made any difference. Um, uh, But, you know, your kid wants to pray, you let him pray. And so he, he, he prays that God would return the iPad, and then he goes to sleep. Next morning, I see him run down the stairs and he opens the door to see if the iPad came on our front door. I think it's so interesting to think of uh, prayer as a little child, of of why Jesus would tell us to be like little children. Um, If we were to uh, really think about uh, what prayer is, Martin Lloyd Jones uh, once said that prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. Um, uh, others would say that a fervent believing prayer is at the heart of all personal godliness. Um, uh, some would say that you, one way that you fulfill God's law uh, in, in loving Him is to pray to Him. One way you fulfill His law of loving others is to pray for others. Including your enemies, as Jesus told us, and and as the new year's approaches, I, I just think about uh, New Year's resolutions and where that came from. Because isn't why? Why is it that for most people, I think uh, New Year's resolutions kind of fall by the wayside by February, if not earlier. Why is that? Why, and why do we keep making them? And if if you are a follower or believer in Christ, why would we not use this opportunity when the New Year's is about to start? Instead of making resolutions that inevitably fail when we just try to make them on our own and through our own strength, why wouldn't we take this as an opportunity uh, to make New Year's prayers that we would be asking the one that actually has the power to do things outside of our own strength? That's just one, one thing to kick off our sermon in terms of what, what, when we're talking about prayer today and as the new year approaches, why not come up with things that you specifically want to pray for? And as we look through this passage, uh, we'll, we'll be trying to look at two questions. One is, why should we pray? I think that's an important question. Um, a second is what Jesus teaches us here is how to pray. So why pray and how to pray? Uh, when we talk about um, what it means, uh, why, why do we pray? Well, I think an answer comes from uh, those of us uh, who have been going through uh, the, the gospel of Mark together. Uh, in, in Mark chapter 3, uh, it says this, that uh, in verse 14, and Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. I think this is really interesting that it's very easy to miss that the first thing Jesus did, the first calling of his disciples, was that they might be with him. That that was before he would send them out to preach, to cast out demons. The first calling of the disciples was simply to be with Jesus. And I think as I, as I preached this uh, a few weeks ago, I really struggled with what does that actually mean in practical terms, to be with Jesus? What does being with Jesus mean? Well, I think this is the answer to why do we pray. Uh, we pray... Uh, because uh, we pray to be with Jesus. Um, a, a title for the sermon I had come up with is To, to Pray in Order to Be with Jesus. Um, it, it's also a, a goal uh, that we should pray to be with Jesus. But I think that's our answer that we pray in order to be with Jesus. Uh, We think about uh, the passage that we read, the chapter before this, uh, there's a story about Martha and Mary. And Mary is the one who is sitting at Jesus' feet, just being with him. And she's commended to have chosen the better thing. And and as we think about what it means to pray, Paul Miller writes a book on prayer, a praying life, that I think many of you here have read. But he says something interesting that uh, to, to learn about prayer is not to focus about praying. That, that, that you, you learn how to pray not by focusing on prayer. Uh, I, I guess it's a way of uh, saying it this way. Like, if you are a believer and you don't pray, it's like you getting to the, uh, the marriage altar, saying your vows to your spouse, and then never talking again in your everyday relationship. Or, I guess to personalize this, that when, when we pray to God, it, it's typically like this. Uh, as, uh, if, if I, as a spouse, were asked, how is your marriage going? And I, I would answer, well, it's, it's pretty good. I, uh, I spent 15 minutes with my wife yesterday morning, uh, went through my, my daily uh, list of things to say as a routine. Uh, I, I confessed some things that I did wrong. I thanked her, I asked her to, to do some things for me, and then we never talked again until the next day. I think what I'm getting at is that so often our prayer lives are so uh, limited to this formulaic routine that we do in the beginning of our day or at the end of our day, and then it's silence throughout the rest of the day. And, and a relationship takes more than just uh, structured words. It, it involves unrushed time together spent, uh, love and a continual effort to love, a joy that is continually experienced together that you're connecting throughout the whole day. And and those of us, I think, who are in relationships or especially in a marriage uh, understand how critical that is uh, to be uh, intimately connected throughout the whole day uh, as opposed to only when uh, you want uh, certain things uh, to be done. Uh, that, That real... Intimacy with God is built not on feelings nor what God can do for me, but it's on a relationship with Him. And that's why prayer is so crucial for us as Christians. We, we learn how to pray, again, not by focusing on how to pray, but we learn how to pray by focusing on Jesus. That essentially prayer is about Jesus. That you can't learn pray to how to pray by listening to a sermon only or by reading a book, but you have to learn how to pray by talking with Jesus. And as I even say that, uh, it's a conviction for myself, do I talk to God and pray more as a result of what I've learned in preparing for this message? There are so many prayer books out there and so many great prayer books out there, but wouldn't it be, if if you are a follower of Jesus, wouldn't it be most important to look at, what the Bible, the Word of God says about prayer above all other books? And, and if that's the case, wouldn't it be really helpful if Jesus was actually specifically asked how to pray and he specifically answered a couple times throughout Scripture exactly how to pray? Wouldn't that be the most important place to start? So Jesus talks about prayer. Uh, he, he, he talks to, specifically teaches us two times. One in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, and the second time is this here on Luke chapter 11, which is a shorter version. Though it's very short, only four verses, uh, people have noted it's very simple, yet very profound, that it seems to cover all the bases. So let's just take this uh, starting with verse 1. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Yeah, so apparently John the Baptist had taught his disciples. Uh, the disciples saw that Jesus uh, prayed regularly and had, in fact, in verse 1, just finished praying in a certain place. And waiting until they finish, he finished, they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. It, it, it's interesting that no one here, especially those of you who are uh, at the local art schools, no, no one ever asked my opinion on interior design, on what color to choose. In fact, my wife asked me my opinion only to do the opposite. Um, no one ever asks me for my opinion on how to design a t-shirt because I know nothing about those things, right? And so, in the same instance, they ask Jesus how to pray because in observing everything that he does, and interestingly, even in his preaching, they they don't ask him about that. They they must have observed that of everything Jesus did, his prayer life was the one thing that really stood out, that he excelled at, that he did frequently, that he loved to do. And that's what they asked Jesus to teach them, how to pray, right? And so Jesus... um, in other occasions, uh, the disciples couldn't cast out an unclean spirit. Um, this was uh, at the end, towards the middle of Mark 9, where we left off in the Gospel of Mark in our preaching series. But when the disciples couldn't cast out an unclean spirit, Jesus said that this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In the beginning of uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says this, And rising very early in the morning, while... While it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus seemed to really gravitate to going to these lonely places, these desolate places, to pray. And yet, isn't it so interesting for those of us who go to these Christian conferences or are in great fellowship with one another that? While those things have its place, we rarely ever forsake these types of gatherings in order to go to these lonely places, in order to pray. And and yet, that's what Jesus modeled throughout his ministry. It's been said that there is no man greater than his prayer life. You could add on to that, there's no church greater than her prayer life. Is prayer something that feels like work for us to do? Or is it something that we get to do, we get to escape to do, to run away to? Where we can eat from his word, to be nourished and find life. That we can be alone with the one that loves us the most and hear from him. That we simply aren't just praying for God to work for us. But we're praying to be with God. So I, the reason why we pray is to, to be with Jesus. E.M. Bounds talks about uh, this prayer as a model outline. It, it's to be filled in. That some people recite it and that, that's okay, but, but more importantly, it, it's to be prayed from the heart. Uh, that... Uh, The important thing is not using the exact words that Jesus uttered, but it's incorporating these rhythms into our own prayer life and conversations with him. Um, I mentioned that there is uh, another variation of this prayer in the book of Matthew that's a little longer. Um, I think that Jesus... Uh, shows us through these two versions that it's not meant to be very rigid, that the exact words are always to be used, but it's just, again, giving us a pattern for prayer. And I I like uh, focusing on, on Luke in that it's a shorter prayer. It's teaching us how to pray the same thing with less words. But as we dive into this passage a little more, the fundamental starting point of prayer, as Jesus taught it, Is worship and asking. Worship and asking. We'll start with worship. Verse two, and he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. See, Jesus starts with Father, which in the Aramaic is just Abba. Uh, It's Jesus' own unique approach to God in prayer, that this is uh, throughout. Uh, almost every single instance that uh, Jesus refers uh, to, to God, it's by using this term Father. And his, his this greatest prayer is that when we say, hallowed be your name, it's, it's not simply hallowed uh, talking about God, but his name, talking about his reputation, That it's it's whatever awe or amazement that we give to anyone that we can can think of in a a position, a high position on earth, whoever that person is that we put on a pedestal, that's nothing compared to the respect that is owed to the Father. That that we stand in awe of, of this God of Israel, who there is no one like him. There, there is no one set apart from sin like him. That He's so different from anyone else, anything else in this world. That's why we stand in awe of him. That, that this is the creator of all. That, that this is the one that is preparing a place for those who believe in him that will be better than anything that we could ever dream of, including Disney World. That, that it's an expression uh, of this reverence that God, who is so set apart, so unique, so holy, that that we give him, that we greatly revere him and honor him, and, and we pray that, that God actually invites us, Jesus invites us to pray for what God is already going to be seeking to do, but he invites us to partner with him, to pray for God to display his holiness for the world to see, that it's uh, for God to be known as the one and only true God, the only one that deserves our allegiance, the only one that can satisfy our deepest desires and fulfillment—that there is nothing else, no one else like Him. That's what's even more interesting. To get, uh, I'll get to this next point. But this this uh, term, the way that this is phrased, "Hallowed be Your name," it's actually a form of asking. It's not a statement. Otherwise, it would have said just hallowed is your name. Or God, your name is hallowed. But this is a a prayer. It's an asking. And and that's going to be our next point. But it's it's a hallowed be your name, asking, Lord, make your name to be hallowed. John Piper puts it this way. "To, To make your word to be believed, your displeasure to be feared, your commandments to be obeyed, and yourself to be glorified. That you hollow the name of God when you trust Him, when you revere Him, when you obey Him, and when you glorify Him. It goes on to say, uh, "Your kingdom come." This model prayer, uh, it, it's uh, Paul Miller talks about. This is a subtle way of introducing Jesus as King into your life. What essentially you're saying when you pray, "Your kingdom come," and again, it's a request. Uh, it, it's praying King Jesus. Rule my life That God's kingdom is for God to rule over all creation, His enemies and us as His people, that you pray for His glory. first, for God to rule and reign in us personally. secondly, to our families and then our churches, uh, in the arts, in business, in the city, in the nation, in the world. That even though the kingdom is already started in us who are Christ followers, we are still waiting for him to make all things right, even as we may go through suffering and persecutions. It's a sense of anticipation that we're waiting on something. Your kingdom come. It, it, it refers to an uh, eternal perspective. Uh, I... I I hope there's not too many Disney fans here. I know there's some because I don't mean to keep ripping on it. But Disney advertises its, its place as the happiest place on earth, right? And in other words, there's another sign that says, where all your dreams come true. And yet, you know, despite how clean it is for many parents and how great quality the service is, there still are those lines that I tell you for everything that you want to do. Everything costs a lot of money. And then there's also alligators and crocodiles that unfortunately have done damage to uh, not only the, the, the parks, but there's been horrific things that we've heard uh, in Disney. So it's, it's not the happiest place on earth. Um, and when I ask my son, he talks about, you know, how much better heaven must be? You know, if this is already for a, a, a five-year-old so incredible, you know if it it's like that's what we are like in our finite minds thinking that this world has everything to offer and yet how much better that that God is so amazing with the way that he creates people the world the, the choices that that we have the the variety of animals that we saw in animal kingdom the the nature that is around us this is just a a dim reflection, a small foretaste of the, the creativity of the creator that is to come. And, and we pray for his kingdom to come in our hearts, where a place where there are no more crying, that there is a, a love that continues to last for one another, that there is no more sin. That's why we pray for, for God's will to be done, His rule to be established, and his name to be reverenced. So when we talk about this next point about uh, how do we pray, the first one we talked about is by worshiping him. Second is this, that to to pray is to ask. The second point, and maybe uh, uh, one of the most major points here today, is to pray is to ask verse 3 says give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. See the first half of the prayer was concerned with asking for God's honor for his kingdom so we can have a proper perspective of who it is that we're asking from. But then it continues to still ask for some very personal needs. It's uh, it's, it's a question that some have had about this passage. Uh, I remember going into a church prayer meeting uh, in my past and I remember uh, someone came up and started criticizing those that just come to prayer meeting to ask for personal things. That, that to be very spiritual, you should be praying for the kingdom and for God's will and, and praying about the things that are more important than just you. But yet, here Jesus very plainly in the middle of this kingdom prayer it says in verse 3 give us each day our daily bread uh, Herbert Farmer says if if prayer is the heart of religion then petition is the heart of prayer that that ultimately the lord's prayer is mainly about asking and and if it seems selfish or materialistic to be praying this this is the, the model that Jesus sets for us to, to ask. And so the question we should wonder is, why does Jesus put this in here? Why does he encourage us to ask for these little seemingly trivial things instead of just focusing on his kingdom? You know, it's, it's, it's so hard for us to ask for things. Um, I think that when, when we ask... Uh, Personally for me, it's often easier when I don't ask. Because when I ask someone for something, I put myself in this posture of potentially being hurt by them. I I, I feel like I become vulnerable when I ask someone for something that I really need or want. And very often, it's just easier for me to close my heart to them and just do it myself or try and get it myself so I don't have to wait or I don't have to risk being hurt by depending on someone else. Or being disappointed by someone else. Or being rejected by someone else. You know, it's often similar with in relationships that, such as marriage where often spouses can be afraid to ask another spouse for things that they really want uh, because they're scared to be vulnerable. And it's so much easier to go do things just on your own, that it's easier, uh, to, even in a ministry context, to go do ministry and accomplish things the way that you think should be done, rather than to pray and to wait on the Lord's timing and his way. I, I think what I'm getting at is that to ask involves something that is even more riskier because to ask is to trust. If, if you want to ask someone to do something, you, you're implicitly trusting them. And that, that can be a scary thing for us to risk at times. I, I think when, when we uh, go to what uh, Jesus talks about, he says this in Luke 12. Fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's why he tells us that to come as a little child who humbly asks that this is who Jesus exalts to inherit the kingdom of God, versus adults who've already learned to become independent, to do things by yourself and not have to risk asking. Charles Spurgeon says that whether we like it or not, Asking is the rule of the kingdom. Asking is the rule of the kingdom. It's not that to to, to just pray uh, in in worshiping God or or praying for his will is more spiritual. But, But what's more spiritual is coming to the father like a little child, completely dependent upon him, that... Uh, Later on in in Luke 11, it talks about not only are we to ask once, but we're to keep asking. Uh, I think one thing that the church has gotten right in the core value is it's called dependent prayer, right? Uh, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, uh, Jesus intros that section by talking about uh, prayer is not about using many words like the Gentiles because God already knows what you need but in understanding what Jesus meant by that is that prayer prayer is for us to depend on him. As a parent, I I love to be asked by my kids for the things that I already know that they need. It doesn't bother me. In fact, it makes me really excited when they're asking how to do something in a safe way or in a healthy way to grow or, in the case of my son, to ask how to pray or, or ask questions about heaven. These are the things that I love to, to answer. And I think that's a small reflection of how God loves to give to those who ask him for the things that he knows we need. This, this prayer is a total prayer going from the world and the kingdom, from big things to the small things like your daily bread. It, it's uh, both spiritual and material. And I think of... Uh, when I first started my uh, law practice uh, about 13 years ago, I remember thinking, I'm I'm just like launching out after being in a law firm and I have like a computer and a desk and I have nothing else. How am I supposed to generate income for myself with nothing? And I I remember that was the opportunity that God was teaching me uh, how to pray like, The the Israelites did in anticipation for your daily bread, your daily manna to come from the sky. And and sure enough, God provided uh, from the sky the first client. And and, and throughout that summer, I I had a a team of interns with me that we uh, worked so hard on the case that this client uh, was so impressed with the service that they got, not knowing that she was our only client, Uh, that she started telling her other friends about. And her other friends started telling her other friends. And it was through this way of praying to God to provide that we saw God provide in ways we never thought was possible. That he is the one that we ask for our daily bread. And he is faithful uh, as he's been in the business providing for his children from the beginning of time. The the next part, if if this uh, idea is... Uh in the word give that we're praying. Give us our daily bread. The next part of this uh, personal prayer is to forgive. To forgive. And it, God similarly aches to forgive us when we ask him. This is not talking about uh, confessing for your salvation because we know that that's done when you trust in what Jesus has done on the cross in having all of your sins put upon him, and trusting that that has turned away God's wrath and judgment that we deserve. When we do that, we, we, we are saved. We don't have to keep confessing. But this kind of confessing is a daily confession. Uh, it, it's uh, this way of maintaining fellowship or a relationship. Um, Though it was something that Jesus never had to do, it's something that we as sinners have to regularly do in order to restore our fellowship um, with, with God. Uh, I, I, some of you uh, who may have been involved with crew, uh know this concept of spiritual breathing. I think it was uh, that we exhale by confessing our sins and we inhale by, I'm sorry, you exhale by asking for the Holy Spirit and you inhale uh, Sorry, (laughs) it was the other way around. You inhale by asking for the Holy Spirit, you exhale by confessing your sins. So this is the idea that uh, to forgive, um, Martin Luther talks about the whole Christian life is one of repentance. That uh, it it seems conditional, and and the Matthew passage talks about that even more clearly. Um, And though it seems conditional that, that we forgive our sins we ask for God to forgive our sins as we ourselves forgive others indebted to us, what this is really saying is that you don't truly understand that you are forgiven by God. And you may truly not believe that you are forgiven by God if you don't forgive others. That to to be able to continue to love someone after you've been offended, to, to be able to forgive somebody because of what you know you have done to the Lord, uh, so much greater that 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 that's a cycle that has to be uh, connected together, and and that's why that this is just talking about this is reflecting whether you truly believe that God has forgiven you, then you will forgive anybody who has wronged you, because whatever somebody has wronged you can never come close to the ways that we have wronged God, who is perfect and is holy. Uh, if, if there's ever a time where you doubt your salvation, if you ever doubt whether your sins have really been forgiven, the, the Matthew 6 place, uh, verse 14 is a good place to look at. God promises that he forgives you if you forgive others. That, that you've modeled what you're asking for. And, and it's a key to our unity, is the ability to forgive in our congregation. I, my, my brother-in-law had... Uh, a severe conflict with one of my relatives. And uh, it it was just uh, so difficult for him to be able to forgive uh, those that continue to just rub him the wrong way time after time after time. And I I don't know if you have experienced in-laws in your family, but that just seems to be uh, a tension that often appears between uh, family members that just uh, whether they're maybe too similar or too different they just continue to clash and yet uh, what moved uh, my wife was to hear him say that when he continued to recite the lord's prayer at night he couldn't do that he couldn't say this that that to forgive us our sins for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us he, he couldn't continue to pray this without forgiving this relative and so he he, he took the, he initiated that first step towards reconciliation. It's been said that when, when you start asking anything, you'll be surprised with how your life begins to sparkle with the presence of God. This last segment here that's confusing for people is, and lead us not into temptation. It's kind of strange for Jesus to say that, isn't it? Because... On one hand, I thought God doesn't lead us into sin. And then secondly, why is it that then, if this is true, why does Jesus, it seems like he wants to pray for for comfort. Lead us not into temptation. What does that mean? Well, it's uh, talking about uh, this idea of temptation is another word for trials. And uh, though God does not lead us into sin, um, he does use trials to purify us when we need to be exposed in some way. And so this prayer, it has been said, is, is praying that we would continue to grow, to be more and more like him in our own personal godliness so that God wouldn't have to use tests or severe trials uh, to, to, to test us in this way. And, and we pray even boldly that God would not give us what we want if it will lead us into temptation, even if it means a job that, that pays much better or uh, a relationship that, that we 've always wanted that we, that we pray that this would not lead us into temptation that, that we again, as a child asks we're asking our father for his protection and his guidance that we wouldn't be tempted away it, it's it's also asking. Uh, for to lead us not into temptation, to acknowledge that we are weak. It, it's, we're acknowledging that we're prone to sin, that without God leading us, we would lead ourselves straight into worse and worse sins. And, and for us, this is the humble posture of a disciple, that, that we ask. Otherwise, do we think that we are self-sufficient enough to not have to ask Especially to not have to ask that uh, we would not be led into temptation, since He controls all. So, this last point about asking, uh, Paul Miller in his book talks about that all of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the gospel is summarized by this one word ask. It's to be with Him, Um, but prayer is also about Him wanting to give us good gifts. So, so the takeaway can be that, that we don't just ask for spiritual things or what we think are appropriate things to ask for before you can abide in him. But you, just, you must ask. You, you must start asking. Uh, even if it seems selfish, it's, it's better that you, you at least ask. The, the scripture tells us that you don't have because you don't ask. And it, later on in James it talks about you, you, you may not get because you ask with the wrong motives. But if you ask, at least there's a chance that he will answer you. And we, we spend our whole lives uh, learning how to ask, to, to unlearn what we know as adults and become like little children again, to learn how to ask. As I close, there's some uh, applications that I think are important for us. Uh, first, as a church, I think... Uh, I think it was Edward that pointed out in our prayer meeting, I think that uh, this is really uh, a prayer about corporate prayer. Um, if you notice, even though one of the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he uses the plural and everything else. Uh, he, he, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us. We ourselves forgive. Lead us not into temptation. So this is a, a prayer that Jesus wants our disciple, all of his disciples to pray as a group. That this is one that's to be shared as a community. That it's uh, uttered as if it was one prayer spoken with one voice. That all of us, as his disciples, pray for the same things as part of a large family. That uh, a foundation for Christian unity is the ability to be able to pray together. And when we pray with the church, I guess this is a shameless plug for our prayer meetings. Uh, It's it's praying with Jesus' physical presence on earth. And that's actually something that is harder to do than praying by yourself because you have real accountability that uh, you will be able to experience uh, being held accountable to praying and and trusting the Lord to answer as we pray together. Um, I I think uh, there's a few things that... uh, I wanted to bring up, as uh, some of you may have done the Daniel fast with our church, which is something that starts in January. In the past, it would be abstaining from uh, foods like meat, uh, things that Daniel in uh, the, the, the book of the Bible didn't eat, and primarily trying to eat vegetables for that month. But what I found very interesting is that it was harder for most people to stop going on social media than it was to stop eating meat. And I think that even though we may not officially be doing uh, the Daniel Fast as a uh, campus uh, or church-wide thing this year, I think this would be a, a great challenge for each of us here today, that if we agree that prayer is such a critical part of what it means to be with Jesus, then there are so many other things that can distract us from praying and from being with him. Let me give you five of the things that I came up with. Five things that we, we often do besides pray. Uh, the, the first thing, I think, is to work. I think it's so much easier, uh, especially for some of us raised in our families, to just work harder. Uh, praying takes away from the work that we could do. The the, the issue with that is that you are then working from your own very limited strength and that's all you'll be able to have is your own limited strength when you work without prayer instead of praying. I think for some of you who might be challenged about that, January might be a good month for you to start learning what it is to take a Sabbath, to take a rest from work, to learn how to pray and work, uh, to pray knowing that uh, what God can do is far greater than what you can do on your own. Secondly, uh, things that we often do besides pray is to do ministry. But it's ministry without lasting fruit. I think it's so easy for us to put up numbers to show that we're doing activities and yet without praying and waiting on the Lord, they could all be ministry work that Jesus does not recognize as from those that know him and has no lasting fruit. I think for for some of those who are in that camp, I think this month might be a good opportunity for you to learn how to pray together more regularly, whether it be at our 3 p.m. prayer meetings or our monthly prayer meetings or those in your small group. But I think it's important to develop as Jesus seemed to emphasize praying together corporately. Thirdly, I, I kind of addressed this, but Uh, Things to do besides prayer is to become depressed by looking at social media every few minutes. I think that for some of us, this was the hardest thing to do, and I'll challenge everyone here. If this is you, if you believe that prayer is the way that you can truly be with Jesus, maybe a good idea for January to delete your Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is that you keep going on, and learn what it means to follow Jesus to the desolate, lonely places where you can hear from the Lord. I think uh, this may hit the wrong chord with some people, but things to do other than pray also is uh, number four. So look at pornography. I think uh, it's been said that uh, in this church it may be talked about more than others, but I think it's important that... uh, we start addressing uh, what are we doing with the time, our own private time, where people are not watching. And I think it could be any type of addiction. You know, I think it could be the dramas you watch, it could be the shopping sites you keep going on, whatever it is that you're trying to fill your soul with, other than connect with Jesus if you are a Christ follower. You know, there's been secular studies that show how uh, internet pornography has con- has changed the brains of people who are addicted to it. That it's become such a serious phenomenon that even presidential candidates have come on and and explicitly stated how they believe internet pornography, especially the easy access to it, uh, especially for children, is incredibly harmful. And yet in this world, they're getting blasted for it. I think this is something that, while I want to be delicate and sensitive to, as someone who has struggled with this in the past, I I want to encourage that if this is you, that it is so important for you to not only confess, but to confess in a community of those who may be a bit ahead of you that can continue to spur you on to walk. And and in time, the good thing is the brain is malleable, that that the brain can be uh, rewired, but it has to be filled with something else. And I think the, the things that come back to me are so clear that until we are engaged in prayer, that our minds are focused on something else than what the enemy wants us to be addicted to, uh, that, that we can lose this battle so easily. And that's why scripture memory is such an incredible blessing uh, for our own souls to be able to feed on something not of this world. Last thing is this. That's another thing that we can do besides pray, if you don't want to pray... You can worry. You can be completely engaged in your own anxieties by yourself. That's why Philippians 4 talks about, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything you ask, you present your request before the Lord by petitioning, you depend on Him, that there is a contrast between you either pray or you worry. You choose. It's your choice. And so that the prayer here is that uh, we would choose to be people who don't depend on ourselves by worry, but we choose to depend on the Lord by prayer. And that's something that we can continue uh, to keep each other uh, accountable and encouraged to do uh, as we come together in corporate prayer. As uh, the last thing that I want to share with you is that uh, I think there, for some of us, coming from cultures where prayer meetings were the last thing that we ever wanted to go to that lasted, you know, two or three hours that start at five in the morning. You know, the very interesting thing about this prayer is how short it is. That despite the stereotype of religious people praying the longest, Jesus is actually telling you the opposite. That you don't need to heap up many words in prayers like the Gentiles do. Because your father already knows what you need. And and, and this Luke passage is the shortest one of the the version that shows how few words can be used. But I think just like if you don't regularly exercise, it's not a good idea to just jump into a marathon. In in the same way, if prayer is not something that you're accustomed to doing, it's not a good idea to just think that you just jump into a three-hour prayer marathon and feel guilty if you don't do that. But it's this cumulative effect even if it's just getting up 15 minutes earlier than you normally would, that if you do that every day, maybe spend half of that time in the Word, half that time in prayer, you do that every day, those small 15 minutes have a huge effect on your life where you're uh, drip feeding from the Word of God and and praying to Him and developing this relationship with your Father. That when we look at this Lord's Prayer. You know that the the fascinating thing about this? Jesus is the answer to every single one of these prayers. Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus is ultimately the one that sanctifies, he's the one that makes the, the Lord's name known to this world. Your kingdom come. That's what Jesus in coming. The first time he began announcing that the kingdom is here, and he began that process for us. Give us this day, each day our daily bread. that Jesus promises he is the bread of life. Whoever feeds on him will also live because of him. John 6. Forgive us our sins. Jesus clearly is the one, the only one, that can take away the sins of the world, that we are forgiven. And lastly, lead us not into temptation. Jesus is the only one. The one time that he did not use the word Father was when he was on the cross and the weight of all of our sin was upon him. And he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That that sin of ours was so great upon him that he was momentarily separated. That even though he was tempted beyond any of us, He showed us the example of someone who led a life, a perfect life, and was not led into temptation, that he overcame those temptations so that we can have hope. I want to show this last thing and I'm done. The um, last week, we had a box arrive that even though we lost faith that this was not a possibility, we didn't think that prayer could make a difference. I wondered how my son would learn about prayer when he was so adamant on wanting to pray that God would return this to our front door. So we were outside and the mailman comes and brings us his box. And when he opens it, and you can show the next slide, you can see that they rejoiced in getting their iPad back. Prayer is like being a humble child, dependent, trusting, knowing that you need help, and you respond with joy and exuberance when your prayers are heard and answered. Let's pray.